Genesis chapter 34 and 35 tonight. But first, turn in your Bibles, please, to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians 5. Kind of set us in the direction of personal application from these two chapters tonight. If you have a cell phone, don't forget to mute that thing. Welcome to Weather Apocalypse 2023. I don't know, but blizzard warnings in uh, the mountains? Man, it's insane. All right, well, welcome to. Uh, Arma Snowden, whatever happened to global warming? That'll happen this summertime when it's 115 degrees. It just goes back and forth. Okay, well, if you're on the right-hand side, that's uh, those of you who are looking at me from this side. If you have a clipboard still, if you'd pass it down the row, let us know that you're here. If you'd put your name on that, I'd appreciate that. Why don't we open in prayer tonight, and uh, we will get started. Well, dear God, I thank you for this hour that you've given us, and um, we thank you for uh, the uh, friendships that we have made through the, through the last uh, 17 weeks, and I pray that your word tonight is edifying, that it uh, helps us to understand you better, your word better, and maybe even ourselves better, but it help us to build camaraderie and friendships as we have this common ground of your word. I lift up the teachers down the hallway. I, I thank you for their sacrifices and uh, in coming in after a long day of work and other, uh, other things to minister to our kids. I pray that those kids would um, take to heart what they learn. And uh, maybe they'd, uh, in a childlike faith, put their faith and trust in your son early in life and thereby avoid some of the um, mistakes that, uh, that uh, we've made. Um, and they could avoid it through living a godly life. I pray for our junior high ministry with Scott and Christina and uh, Max and Erica. Thank you for what they do in a the very important ministry in our church. I pray that you'd bless them because of their sacrifice tonight. I lift up our high school ministry as well. I pray that our teenagers would uh, would take the, the faith that they have and they, they would begin to make it their own. And I lift up um, uh, the youth leaders in there, Dan and Abby and um, and uh, the uh, Foliasos and James. I lift them up to you and I pray for their leadership there. God, I pray tonight is also beneficial to us as we study your Bible. In Jesus' name, amen. It's, we're, we're studying the patriarchs, and the patriarchs are always set up as heroes, hero, heroes of the Old Testament. And in the New Testament, they really are set up as heroes. And sometimes it's hard to identify with heroes, you know, like Iron Man. Who can identify with Iron Man? The guy has like a genius level intellect, you know, he has an armor suit with missiles on it. Like, I mean, you can't really identify with Iron Man. My hero growing up was G.I. Joe, and I had a G.I. Joe action figure. It's not a doll, it's an action figure. <laughs> but G.I. Joe, you could just like twist his body like all the way around. You can't identify with your heroes sometimes, you know, a SpongeBob. He lives in a pineapple under the sea. Who can identify with SpongeBob, you know? And so sometimes the heroes are hard to identify with, but, but Jacob, being a patriarch, is not like that. As we begin to study his life, you're almost thinking, this guy can't be a hero. He can't be a patriarch because he's too much like me. <laughs> he's, I can identify with what he's experienced. Maybe you understand the term of backsliding. Have you heard that term before, backsliding? That's a, a term for someone who is a believer 
And, and though they've been saved, they slide backwards into the things uh, that they did or the things that they thought or the things that they said before they were a Christian. It's called backsliding. And when, when a Christian backslides, everyone around them feels the effects of it. Everyone around them is impacted by it. And the Christian themselves is miserable because of that backsliding. And sometimes God has to spank his children in that backsliding to, to get them to um, to come back, to repent, to come back to the things of God. And, and so that's where we find Jacob. Jacob is definitely sliding backwards. And we see the impacts of that in his life and the people that he's around tonight. But I ask you to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians, Ephesians 5 first. Um, this, is, this would be the application. I'm giving you the application first, then we're going to see it. But this would be the application to this chapter that we're going to study in in Genesis 34. Uh, Look at verse 15 and 16 of of Ephesians 5. It says, Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. The application to this is the decisions that you make, whether wise or unwise, are going to have an impact on your future. Making a wise decision, thinking it through, is going to impact your future differently than if you make an unwise decision. Sometimes people people forget that. They just figure that the decisions they make are just for now, and it's only going to matter to me, and it's only for this day, and it won't really matter very much. But what this is saying is it's be careful how you walk. That word walk in the New Testament is how you live your life. Because the way that you live your life is going to have an impact in the future. And it would be important for you as a believer to walk in a wise way. Because as you make wise decisions, your, your future is going to be different than if you make unwise decisions. And so that, that is going to be the application. And we're going to see that work in the, in the unwise way as we follow Jacob's life in, uh, in tonight's event. So turn in your Bibles all the way back to Genesis chapter 34, the complete other side of your Bible, Genesis 34. Um, okay, so let's kind of recap where we've been so far so we understand. Um, Jacob convinces his brother Esau to give him the birthright, and then he deceives his dad um, to get the blessing, and then he runs away from Esau because Esau has a hit out on him. His brother has a hit out on him because he stole both the blessing and the birthright, and now his brother wants vengeance. And in a vengeful rage, he says, my dad dies, I'm going to kill my brother. And so he leaves, and up here on the map is kind of the the direction that he goes. Canaan is there on the lower left-hand side. The promised land is uh, almost is kind of where you see the word Canaan. And below it, this area here is the land of Canaan, the promised land. Today we know it as Israel. But this is the area here. And he leaves Canaan and he, and he runs to his uncle's house in Padan Aram. And it is there where he gets played by his uncle Laban and he ends up marrying two women. He loves one of them and the other one he doesn't love at all. She doesn't love him 
and he doesn't love her, and it's a tragic situation. He ends up marrying uh, two other of their maids, and so he turns into a, a four-time serial <laughs> husband, I suppose you could say. And, uh, and while he's in Padan Aram with his uncle, he amasses a, an enormous uh, livestock empire with um, employees and an enormous empire. But his uncle Laban up here in Padan Aram feels slighted because of what occurs. And Jacob is always trying to do it his way. He's always trying to figure out how he can uh, work out the situation in, in his own way. And finally, his uncle Laban, who uh, sold him uh, a bill of goods with the, the first daughter that he married, and, um, and finally came to an agreement where I'm going to stay here in Padan Aram. You are going to go south back to Canaan. And uh, Jacob, you're not going to come back up north. And I won't come down south. We're just going to part ways. The problem with coming down south was is that his brother Esau was in Canaan, and his e brother Esau wanted to kill him. And so as he came back down into the, the, the land of Canaan, or near it at least, he ends up up here. And his brother comes up from the south with 400 guys to mow him down, mow him and his family down. And in a miracle of God, he changes the, the mind of Esau. Now, Jacob thought it was all of the gifts that he sent him. You know, he sent him all these care packages. You know, here's a cow. Here's a cow. Here's, that, here's 100 cows. Here, here's more cows, because I guess it, like cows are going to solve the vengeance in a man's heart over 20 years. But that's what he thought. And so Esau comes up. He receives the gifts. They, it's, it's an, it, the, the, um, the, the love for his brother is not there. Uh, he still brings his 400 men, but all of a sudden something changes and Esau hugs him and uh, there is uh, a reuniting. And, and here is where um, he builds uh, an altar to the Lord and we kind of thought everything was going to end great. But right at the end of last week, we found that he, um, he's, he's bought, uh, he bought a house here in Sukkoth. It's these three places are the three places that were mentioned in Scripture. They all kind of like fit underneath where this triangle is. <laughs> it's, it's all very close by here. And he uh, bought property here in Sukkoth, and he, he abandons what he was. He abandons the idea of a patriarch. He's no longer mobile. He's no longer in a tent. He abandons the whole tent. He abandons the whole altar concept, and he, he's he, he takes away the pilgrim life of him, and he begins to settle down. Because after all, you know, you, you want a shower and a spa and those kinds of things. And so he settled there. Remember that his daughter, Diana, or uh, Dinah, grew up here. Uh, her formative years were in this city. Now, the problem here is that it's not, A, it's not in Canaan at all. It's not in the promised land. It's a godless place. And, and so... And then, and then shortly over, they move over into Shechem. So Dinah, Dinah grows up, and the rest of the sons too, but I'm mentioning Dinah tonight because the, t the topic for tonight is Dinah and what occurs to her. And so she grows up in Succoth, and then they move over to Shechem. Now, Shechem is in the promised land, but it's not where God wanted, God wanted them to go to Bethel, which is a little further south. And they moved to the, the promised land, but they landed in Shechem. And the problem with Shechem is, is that it was just as godless. It was just as godless as Gomorrah was. Remember when Lot moved to Gomorrah and how evil uh, that place was? Yes, it's in the promised land, but it's, I mean, it's all Canaanites. 
and, and, and parasites that live all in this area. And so it's a completely godless place. And so, unfortunately, that's where Jacob lands. He buys a pool, has a lawn guy, uh, sends the kids to public school, and he's there. He's set. That's where he's going to set up shop. No more traveling, no more tents, no more altar. That's where he is going to be. And as he bought into this culture in, in Shechem, it really changed his family. The, the city life didn't do well for his family. They're going to, we're going to mention a lot of names tonight, so it'll probably be a good idea for us to remember who we're talking about in this whole thing. So we have Abraham and Sarah. They have a child named Isaac. Isaac marries Rebekah. And Isaac and Rebekah have two boys, Esau and Jacob. And Jacob then marries the two ladies, um, the two sisters, Leah and Rachel. Now, the, the, the unloved wife of Jacob has four sons, Reuben and Simeon, and Levi and Judah. And then Jacob has four sons with the, with the maids or, or the, the servants of his two wives for the total of eight sons. And then Jacob and Leah have a few more sons and they have a daughter, Dinah. Dinah is the topic for this evening. Now, the loved wife was Rachel. That's the one he first wanted to, to marry. That was the first one that he loved and the only one that he really loved. And Jacob and Rachel finally have a son of their own named Joseph. And so it's important that we know these names so that we kind of know where we're headed uh, tonight as we read this chapter. Now, the effects of Jacob and his compromise to stay in Shechem had a, an enormous impact on his kids. And that impact is vividly displayed in chapter 34. So chapter 34 is just a really crazy event. And so we're just going to read the entire thing. <laughs> we're going to read the entire chapter. And then maybe we can uh, come back and unpack uh, what we're reading here. But remember, the, the theme is that, that the decisions that you make impact your future. The things that you decide to do today are going to impact what occurs to you in the future. And as you begin to slide backwards, as you begin to backslide, begin to do things that, that are ungodly, it is going to impact you. You're, it's, going to, it's going to go bad for you, and it's going to go bad for the people that are around you. That's the theme. So let's see what happens to the family as they grow up in Shechem. So chapter 34 in Genesis, verse 1. Now, Dinah, the daughter of Leah, whom she had borne to Jacob, went out to visit the daughters of the land. So she goes out to Shechem. Shechem is the capital city of the Canaanites, right? And see, she just goes out to explore. And when Shechem, the son of Hamar, the Hittite, the prince of the land saw her, he took her and lay with her by force. He was deeply attracted to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob, and he loved the girl and spoke tenderly to her. So Shechem spoke to his father Hamor, saying, Get me this young girl for a wife. Now that's romantic. <laughs> now Jacob heard that he had defiled Dinah, his daughter, but his sons were with his livestock in the field, so Jacob kept silent until they came in. I don't know if I'd keep silent if that happened to my daughter. But that did for Jacob. That tells you about the influence and the impact that he really had in his daughter's life and maybe even how much he displayed his care for her. 
Then Hamor, the father of Shechem, verse 6, went out to Jacob to speak to him. Now the sons of Jacob came in from the field when they heard it, heard that this had occurred, and the men were grieved that they were very angry because he had done a disgraceful thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter, for such a thing ought not to be done. But Hamor spoke with them, saying, The soul of my son Shechem longs for your daughter. Please give her to him in marriage. Intermarry with us and give us your daughters and to us and take our daughters for yourselves. Thus you shall live with us and the land shall be opened before you, and trade in it and acquire property in it. Shechem also said to her father and to her brothers, If I find favor in your sight, then I will give whatever you say to me. Ask, ask me ever so much bridal payment and gift, and I will according to as you say to me, but give me the gift in marriage, the girl in marriage. But Jacob's sons answered Shechem, and his father Hamor with deceit, because he had defiled Dinah, their sister. And they said to him, we cannot do this thing to give our sister to one who is uncircumcised, for that would be a disgrace to us. Only on this condition will we consent to you. If you will become like us, meaning circumcised, in that Every male of you be circumcised, then we will give our daughters to you, and we will take your daughters for ourselves, and we will live with you and become one people. Let's stop right there just for a minute. The culture was, and we see this throughout the Old Testament, the culture is that as you give your daughters in marriage to an outsider, and that outsider gives their daughter or daughters to the, the other outsider in marriage, then they are unified as a family. This happened all this happened in Babylon, this happened all over the place. So this was a cultural thing. The way to unify uh, uh, people groups were to intermarry with each other. Uh, verse 17. But if you will not listen to us to be circumcised, then we will take our daughter and go. Now their words seemed reasonable to Hamor and Shechem, Hamor's son. The young man did not delay to do the thing, <laughs> to do the thing, yeah, to go get circumcised. Because he was delighted with Jacob's daughter, now he was more respected than all the household of his father. So Hamor, his son Shechem, and his son Shechem came to the gate of their city and spoke to the men of the city, saying, These men are friendly with us, therefore let them live in the land and trade in it. For behold, the land is large enough for them. Let us take their daughters in marriage and give our daughters to them. Only on this condition will the men consent to us to live with us, to become one people, that every male among us be circumcised as they are circumcised. Will not their livestock and their property and all their animals be ours? Only let us consent to them and they will live with us. All who went out of the gate of his city listened to Hamor and to his son Shechem, and every male was circumcised, all who went out of the gate of his city. We're in verse 25. Now it came about on the third day when they were in pain. So uh, all the men who went out, they got circumcised, and now they're on the couch thinking, what did I just do, and who did I do this for? Now, like, you know, I mean, these are adult men who are doing this. 
Um, you know, when, when a, an infant boy gets circumcised, his body is built to adjust for that so quickly. But these adult men, on day three, they're still in pain. And that the, now it came about, verse 24, on the third day, when they were in pain, that two of Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, we can see them up on the, on the, the family tree here, they are son number two and son number three, of Jacob and Leah's sons. Okay, so these are the two boys. Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, each took a sword and came upon the city unawares and killed every male. They killed Hamor. They killed his son Shechem with the edge of the sword and took Dinah from Shechem's house and went forth. And Jacob's sons came upon the slain and looted the city because they had defiled their sister. And they took their flocks and their herds, and their donkeys, and all that was in the city, and that which was in the field. And they captured and looted all of their wealth, and all of their little ones, and their wives, even all that was in the houses. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, you have brought trouble on me by making me odious among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites. And my men, being few in number, they will gather against me and attack me, and I will be destroyed, I and my household. But they, meaning his son, said, should he treat our sister as a harlot? Whew. <laughs> okay. So now we're beginning to see what occurs when dad decides to cozy up in a very godless place. His family just disintegrates. So notice a couple things here. First, Jacob was completely careless in his, in, his, in his care or his oversight or his love for his daughter, Dinah. She goes out unaware, her dad not protecting her at all. Probably dad was a little bit um, enthralled with the idea that the prince of the area is interested in in my daughter. And he was completely careless in caring or protecting her at all. And then, apparently, she she feels peer pressure, or in some way, this kind of man of the city, the the, the man that kind of knew how to work women, is now dealing with, she's just a farmer girl. What else has she known? She hasn't known the city life. She doesn't know a, a, you know, she doesn't know one of those guys. She's just been living with her with her family and 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 goats and cattle, and she's a farm girl, and so relatively innocent, being thrown into a um, a, 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 a very obviously sexually advanced kind of place, and it appears as if they fell in love. Now, it doesn't tell us about, uh, about her perspective, but you can read here that he was in love with her. But, you know, the family values go right out the window, and he rapes her. And what's interesting about this is thousands of years later, a thousand years later, Josephus, he's, an, he's a, a, a Jewish historian, 
in the first century. So he's writing what occurs in the first century with Jesus, so we can see a lot of what Josephus writes about um, Jesus and the apostles and that era. But Josephus addresses what occurs here in, uh, in Shechem. And he says in his book, The Antiquities, he says that this is a, one of the religious uh, rites of passage um, as an aspect of, um, of one of the festivals in their godless society. So the rape of unsuspecting girls was a part of the religious rites of passage in their festivals. It gives you an idea of just the depravity of the place that Shechem was. So this is like, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah, just 2.0, just in another place. And, and so she gets wrapped up in this. Now, Dinah's brothers, <laughs> they're like, uh-uh. We, we aren't going to just give our, our sister to this Canaanite geek. Um, she's not a prostitute. We're not selling her to you. But they come up with this plan. It's a masterful plan. And the plan is, okay, okay, okay. We'll give you the girl that you love, but remember, we're Jews. And so, you know, she's not marrying anybody that's not circumcised. Now, of course, circumcision is aligning with Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant. And so it wasn't just anybody who got circumcised was now aligned with the Abrahamic covenant. But of course, <laughs> these Canaanites had no clue the Abraham covenant, they had no clue about what the, the circumcision meant. They just knew that they were circumcised. And so they said, how about you get circumcised and then you can have our daughter? And of course, this was a plan. It was a, a setup. It was a trap um, for, for not only the Shechem, the prince of the place, it was a trap for the entire city. And their math was, hey, the entire city signs off on what this guy did. Because look at verse 19 again. Verse 19 says, the young man did not delay to do the thing, meaning Shechem, the prince, didn't delay in getting circumcised because he was delighted with Jacob's daughter. Now, he was more respected than all the household of his father, meaning that he was the most respected man in the capital of the... He was the most respected Canaanite, even after he raped their sister. And so their math is, okay. If you're going to respect that, you're going to pay the same price that he, that, that he pays. And so then we have these two sons, Simeon and Levi, who then come and extract revenge. This isn't just like eye for an eye. This is because revenge doesn't work like that. Re revenge isn't about like just making it equal. Revenge is getting more back than from what you took from me. This was like, you know, uh, an eye for a life is what occurred here. And so they go and exact revenge. And so now we have murderers in the group. We have Dinah cozying up with someone she should have never cozied up with getting raped by this man. Now, Jacob never wanted any of this to happen. 
But by this point in time, he had completely lost the influence of his kids. His kids are the ones that are making decisions. Notice that it was the sons that were negotiating with, um, with the, the, the king and the prince. Um, it wasn't dad. Dad is like, oh, I'll wait for my sons. He has no influence in this situation at all. So much so, look at verse 30 again. It says, so Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, you have brought trouble to me by making me odious among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites, and by men and my men being few in number, meaning that these other peoples are going to hear about what occurred and they're going to come and attack me back and I don't have enough men, I don't have enough guys to defend against the a Canaanite army or the Perizzite army. I don't have, I can't defend them. They will gather together against me and attack me and I will be destroyed, I and my household. But notice the, the he has no influence at all on his kids because his son said right back, well, should he, should he treat us, uh, should, should he treat our sister as a harlot? He, they didn't say, oh, yeah, sorry, dad. You're right, dad. We were wrong, dad. Like, oh, no, you're wrong because we did the right thing. Absolutely no influence in his kid's life at all. And, and, and this is the family that has finally ended up with. He's finally ended up with. With all of the poor decisions all along the way of leaving Isaac and Rebekah and Esau in such a bad situation and finally coming to, to Laban and, and falling in love with Rachel, but accidentally marrying and loving only Rachel, which caused a whole lot of drama, obviously, within his family. He has no respect. Just like he had no respect for his dad, he, he deceived his dad to steal the, the blessing in the first place. And now his own sons have no respect for him. They don't care about him at all. And, and it's all landed because of all these poor decisions all along the way, including giving up the tent, giving up the altar, settling in a godless place like Shechem and allowing his kids to grow up in a place just like that. And so Canaan, the land of Canaan, is never going to be the same again because of this bad influence of a family. And Jacob is going to live ultimately in Canaan for a while, he's going to end up getting shipped off to Egypt. He's going to move to Egypt. And it's going to be 400 years until Moses leads him out of Egypt, until finally God comes back and he does finally annihilate all of the Canaanites for all of the idolatry and the depravity that they had occurred here. But it was going to happen 400 years later after this because Jacob has absolutely no influence at all. And, and so we go back to that verse in Ephesians, therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. He, he made some very unwise decisions along the way. And he had backslidden so far from where he had been that, um, th- that the result in his family, he just... He couldn't ever have imagined that just moving to Shechem, not a big deal. It's just for a little while. I'm giving up the tent just for a little bit. I'll move along at some point in time. That was an unwise decision, but he only found out later on. Well, it's 7.30. Why don't we take a cookie break? And then we'll get to chapter 35 when we get back from our break. All right. Well, tonight's cookies were brought to you by... 
Miranda Devine and Paulette Callender. Thank you, ladies. All right, well, Genesis 35, maybe you notice a little bit of yourself in, in Jacob where you kind of learn lessons the hard way, and um, it might negatively affect your, your family or those around you. Um, maybe you have in the past, or maybe you are now kind of stumbling backwards, you're you're, you're falling backwards a little bit like Jacob did. And the message of Genesis 35 is it's never too late for a new beginning. I'm glad these two chapters bumped right up against each other and that we just happened to study these two together. And we're just studying two chapters every week. And so we just get the luck of the draw at which comes to, which, which happens next to each other. But in the, in chapter 34 was just the, the difficulty of Jacob, uh, backsliding and the message of Genesis 35 is it's never too late for a new beginning. And that's what Jacob has in chapter 35. Um, he initiates a new beginning with uh, the Lord. Let's read the first uh, seven verses here. Then God said to Jacob, Arise and go up to Bethel and live there, and make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods which are among you, and purify yourselves and change your garments. And let us arise and go to Bethel, and I will make an altar there to God who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods which they had and the rings which were in their ears, and Jacob hid them under the oak tree which was near Shechem. And they and as they journeyed, there was a great terror among the cities which were around them, and they did not pursue the sons of Jacob, meaning they had all heard the story of what Jacob's sons had done to the city of Shechem, killing off all of the, the men there. And so all of the other cities around are like, ooh, we don't want to go mess with those guys. And so they didn't come and, and attack by God's grace, obviously. So Jacob came to Luz, which is Bethel which is in the land of Canaan, he and all the people who were with him. And he built an altar there and called the place El Bethel because there God had revealed himself to him when he had fled from his brother. Now let's go back to that map just for a minute, just to re remember where, where we are. He comes from the north, he comes down in and he goes to Sukkoth and he was there and he, he lived there for too long. He, he had a house there, but then he ended up in Shechem and uh, just 20 miles uh, north of where he really needed to be. But finally he moves and he heads down to Bethel. And so that's where, where we find them now. And so let's go back to verse 1 and just notice here that um, God's grace is always available. It's, God's forgiveness is always available. After all of what we just read <laughs> about what Jacob did to himself, what he did to his family, him not living a godly life, living in a godless place, God says, arise and go up to Bethel and live there and make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. Even though his influence was completely lost, um, God's grace and his forgiveness isn't. That's an important thing to remember. That as a believer, no matter how much you've crushed your own testimony, God's grace and his forgiveness of you is still there. Even if you've lost everything else, God's grace and his forgiveness of you is still there. And we see the process of what that was. Look at verse 2. And so Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, put away the foreign gods. 
get, get, rid of the, get rid of the things that have uh, taken the place of God. Um, whatever's taken the place of God, get rid of those things. We're going back to God. Today, we would call that repentance. That's what repentance is. Repentance is doing 180 degrees. Repentance is headed one direction and turning and going another direction. Repentance. And repentance can occur to someone who is not a believer and they could change their, their mode of, of, of salvation. I'm going to save myself by being a good person. And they can do a 180. They can repent and turn to Jesus Christ. That's repentance. But it can also be repentance when you are backsliding, when you're falling back into the things that you did before you were saved and you turn around and you go back to the Lord. And that's exactly what Jacob did. He, he repented. And so this is the process. He said in verse 2, put away the foreign gods which were among you, purify yourselves, um, get yourselves clean again spiritually. Now today we'd call that confession. And that's, this is the right order. First it's repentance, and then it's confession. Apologizing to God for the things that you've done wrong. You've been wallowing in your own sin. You've backslid into the things that you shouldn't have been doing, and so now you, you apologize, purify yourselves, that would be modern-day confession. And change your garments. <laughs> um, get yourself cleaned up. That's modern-day sanctification. This is the process. And, and when, when a believer repents, goes back to the Lord, confesses their sin, God will begin to clean their life up. That's called sanctification. And so this is like the three-step process that, that they did. And it, it reve it's revealing that the rest of the family followed suit. Look at verse 4. It says, so they gave Jacob all the foreign gods which they had. So all of the little uh, idols that they had collected in Shechem. They had, I mean, they, they, they were full-on religiously Shechemites. They, they weren't, they weren't J Jews. They weren't God's people. They, they, were, they were worshiping the gods of Shechem. They had them in their houses. They had the little the, the idols there um, and, and uh, the rings that were in their ears. So now you know earrings are immoral and evil and you got to get rid of all your earrings. Um, but obviously the, the rings in their ears meant something religiously that meant that they were tied to something other than the one true God. They were tying them to the gods of Shechem. And so they unloaded all those. They did it, you know, as they're leaving Shechem, they're doing this enormous cleaning of house, not only spiritually, internally, but physically, they gave all of those things that had taken God's place and they gave them to Jacob and Jacob <laughs> buried them uh, under an oak tree, hid them under an oak tree, which was near Shechem. And that's how we know that it was not just a verbal thing, but it was seen in their actions. And so I just, I want you to remember, this, this is the, the lesson from this chapter, is that no matter how much damage you've made to your own testimony by backsliding, it's never too late for a new beginning. It never is. And so if you found yourself living a life that you know that you shouldn't live, it's never too late to confess your sins to the Lord. Repent, go back to him. Allow him to clean up your life. He can change who you are, even though you might say, well, he'd never take me back. You don't know what I've done. Oh yeah, Jesus Christ has already died for those. If you're a believer, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ already, those sins are already paid for. You're still going to heaven, but you've lost your fellowship with him. And so that's what 1 John, you don't have to turn there, but I just want to read to you the way that 1 John describes um, this process for, for, uh, uh, for believers today. You've seen it in the Old Testament, but God still operates the same thing today. Just listen to these words. It says, 
This is the message that we have heard from him, from Jesus, and announced to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him, and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Well, that's exactly what Jacob was doing and his family. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I just want you to know that, that Jesus Christ will, will wash your feet clean of the sin that you have gotten yourself into, and it's never too late for a new beginning. But there is more to this chapter. Whoa. There's more to this chapter. And, um, and let's, let's look at the, the rest. Now, unfortunately, the rest of this chapter is sad. Um, four deaths in the rest of this chapter. Well, let's look at those quickly. Verse 8. Now, Deborah, Rebecca's nurse, died, and she was buried below Bethel under the yoke, and it was named Alon Bekuth. Okay, so there are actually two people. There's one that's alluded to that's not specifically mentioned, but I'm going to mention it here. The first death is the death of Rebecca, Jacob's mother. Now, Deborah was the caretaker or was the um, was kind of her, her maid or her servant, was Rebecca's servant. I put the family tree back up here so you know, remember who Rebecca is. I know it's hard to follow all these names, but, this is, but Rebecca passes. Um, and it's assumed that she passes naturally, but her maid, her servant, didn't die with her. And, um, and so then she goes and she lives with, with Jacob. And um, we, we know nothing of uh, Rebecca's death. We don't have a funeral for her um, at all. It, it's assumed that Rebecca died when, uh, when he was uh, up in Padanaram with the uncle. Um, but we don't know much about, about that. But obviously when he came back, um, Rebecca's maid or her, her servant, um, probably even Jacob's nanny, you know, um, came and lived with him. And so then verse 8 is really the overt the second death that we have here. Deborah, Rebecca's nurse, died. And she must have been quite old because, I mean, it's been like 150 years since they, <laughs> since they started this whole thing. So she, she was quite elderly when she finally died. And this was a very sad time for Jacob. And the reason that we know that this was a sad time because of what he called this place, that Alon Bekuth, well, that's Hebrew for the oak of weeping. She, she was buried under an oak tree and, and it was a very difficult, sad funeral because I think Deborah reminded him of all the wonderful years that he had with her. Because remember, he was different than his brother. His brother Esau was all into the manly things, out, in the, you know, out hunting and things, but he was a, a he, was a man, he stayed in the tents. He was a mama's boy. And so I bet uh, he and, and mom's maid, mom's servant, they'd spent a lot of time together. She'd probably spent a long time building uh, into him and, uh, and teaching him and listening to him and hugging him. And so um, he really grieved a lot during um, this, uh, this passing because there was an attachment that he has to her. Now let's get to the... Uh, the third death, the first death is Rebecca, the second one is her maid. Now let's get to the third death, get down to verse 16. 
chapter, uh, verse 16 of chapter 35. Then they journeyed from Bethel, and when there was still some distance to go to Ephrath, Rachel began to give birth, and she suffered a severe labor. Okay, so remember, Rachel is the, the much-loved, the only loved wife, and now she's pregnant. We didn't know that before, but she's pregnant. That's a wonderful thing. But notice that her birth is, or her labor is severe on this journey that they're on, verse 17. When she was in severe labor, the maidwife said to her, do not fear, for now you have another son. Aha, the 12th son, the, the, the second son of the most loved wife, Rachel. So um, in verse 18, it says, and it came about as her soul was departing for she died, that she named him Benoni, and after, but after his father called, but after his father called him Benjamin. So Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. And Jacob set up a pillar over her grave, that is the pillar of Rachel's grave to this day. So Jacob's favorite wife, Rachel, she dies. This is the one that he worked. 14 years for, and then really another six years uh, with, her, uh, with her dad, his father-in-law, 20 years uh, that he uh, worked with and for her before they left uh, dad's house. This is the one that he loved. Um, Lee is the one that he didn't love, but he really loved Rachel. And she was pregnant again for the second time, and that must have been a really exciting thing for them. But um, that, that birth um, proved deadly. Now, I mean, they didn't, they didn't have Kaiser. There's no 911. There's no uh, ambulances. You can't, they didn't have the whole, you know, plug a, plug a woman in and there's just like diodes coming out of every part of her body to tell how the baby's doing and how the woman's doing. And so in her last breaths of, of her own life, she gives birth, and it's a son. And the midwife says, you've born a son. And in her last breath, she names him this name, which means the son of sorrow. That's the name. Because she knows that she's not going to get to hug him. She's not going to get to teach him. She's not going to get to play with him. She's not going to tuck him into bed. She's not going to uh, wean him. She's not going to uh, put him in his car seat and get so tired of that stinking car seat after eight years of shoving that kid in the car seat. You're finally so glad when they're not in the car seat. And none of that. Son of sorrow. Well, dad, he changes the name to Benjamin, and that means son of the right hand. That's the third death the death of Rachel. Now we get to the fourth death, verse 27. Jacob came to his father Isaac at Mamre, that is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac had sojourned. Now the days of Isaac were 180 years, and Isaac breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people, meaning he went to effectively heaven. An old man of ripe age, and his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. So this obviously happens a little bit later than all of these other uh, things, but this kind of puts a, a, a neat bow on, uh, on his life, on Isaac's life. I told you we didn't know much about Isaac. Remember, we just didn't, we don't know much about Isaac. 
Um, that really the only, the only things we know about Isaac really are his interactions with other people. And I think partially it's because Isaac was, uh, was not the, uh, <laughs> the, uh, the patriarch that uh, his life really wasn't worthy recounting a whole lot of. But he died at a ripe, ripe as a, <laughs> if, if you ever come to my funeral, don't, don't say he was ripe, okay? <laughs> don't, don't, don't say that. Uh, but it's not just referring to his age, though. 180, but it's not just referring to his age. Um, it just means that he died full. He died satisfied. Um, there was nothing else in his life that, um, that was needed to be done. He had finished what God had, had needed him to do. There was no unfinished business. That's what that phrase means. There were only a few other men in the Bible who uh, have that designation of die, dying in a, at a ripe old age. And uh, Abraham, uh, you remember, is, is one of them. But the main thing I want you to remember from, from uh, Genesis 35 is that no matter where you slid in, no matter how far you've, you've slid backwards, it's never too late for a new beginning of repentance with the Lord. Don't forget that. Let's close in prayer. Well, God, I thank you for what you've taught us tonight, and I thank you for your, your uh, eternal loving kindness and grace and forgiveness. We would love to live perfect lives in honor of you and what you've done for us, and yet um, that's impossible for us to do. And so we thank you for your mercy and not giving us what we deserve and your wonderful grace of eternal life, even though we don't live up to deserve that either. And so we praise you for the, um, the, the way that you work with people, all the way from the first book to, of the Bible to the last. And we're somewhere in between. And so we thank you for these things. God, I thank you for what you've taught us tonight. And we, um, I pray that what we've ta- learned tonight uh, would, uh, would apply in our lives. Help us to be wise as we uh, walk our lives in you this next week. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, I'll see you Sunday. Maybe driving your snowmobile or something, but I'll see you Sunday. <laughs>